You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, back with another episode of the Seeking Excellence podcast. And today I have my friend, Julia, with me today. Julia, how are you? I'm I'm good. <laughs> Everything around me might be crumbling, but I'm good. <laughs> That's good. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear, uh, surviving through the struggle. So it's great to have you on the podcast today. I know we've talked a little bit on Instagram before, which is typically how I meet most of my Seeking Excellence podcast guests. So uh, that's very normal. But um, it's our first time getting to have a, a real conversation. And so I'm excited to learn more about you, learn more about the, the great work that you're doing um, in, in ministry and and just especially more about your life. So I think that'd be a great place to kind of start is just kind of give us an overview of of who you are. Yeah, of course. Um, I can't remember. I listened to a, some insert Catholic podcast name here. Don't remember which one, of course, um, several months ago of like, we should introduce ourselves starting with like, I'm a daughter of the king. And I was mm. like, yeah. So daughter of the uh, current reigning, reigning undefeated champion of uh, the world. Uh, so that's pretty great. Uh, yeah, I'm a cradle Catholic, um, born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, yeah, I went to um, Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan, uh, which just had Jordan Peterson speak, which is uh, yeah. pretty cool. And everyone's talking about that. Uh, he I don't was know the commencement there. speaker, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He, was, he was pretty great. Um, so yeah, I went there for undergrad. Now I'm earning my PhD in neuroscience at the University of Cincinnati, uh, where I have one more year left because they will stop paying me in a year. So that means I have to be done. Wow. Um, yeah. What part of Cincinnati do you live in? Um, I'm over on the east side. So I'm in like Hyde Park, uh, O'Brienville area. Uh, I, I go it. to St. Cecilia where Father Jacob was. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we talked about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. Yeah, I love St. Cecilia's. That's one of my I often will like reflect back on like different parishes I've belonged to in my life. And I think this one is the only one that's probably tied with St. Cecilia's in my life. Yeah. The one we go to now, Our Lady of Lords in Denver is pretty amazing too. But um yeah, Father Jacob, Father Jacob was the man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's he is the man. man. He's still alive. Yeah, he is, so. he is, yeah. <laughs> he's very much still alive. I mean, it's like 29 years old. Yeah. So we got a lot of, a lot of his prime. We got a lot more years, years out of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. And I love, I love Cincinnati. Uh, Emily makes fun of me for it all the time because I talk about it like <laughs> excessively. Yeah. 
<laughs> especially for it being Cincinnati. Like I know that it's not in anybody's like top 10 cities in America, but um, right, right. I, I yeah, I had never mind. been here before I moved here. Like I literally interviewed for grad school, looked at apartments, and then moved here. And I was like, yeah, wow. that's that's it. So yeah, that's kind of how mine was. I went there. Uh, I think I I think I'd been there as a kid once. Me and my grandparents, we like drove across the country. And I can't remember if we stopped in Cincinnati or not. Um, but I visited, yeah, it was literally like I went for my interview at their name of Catholic and I got to stay for like I think I only stayed for one night because it was just during the day. Yeah, I was supposed to be for, there for two nights, you know, the night before then the, the night of the interview. And then my flight got all types of delayed and I ended up leaving at like 3 a.m. to fly out of Raleigh instead of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And ended up, <laughs> that was like my only day there. And so that was the only time I'd been there before except for the job um, was just like one evening. I had just one yeah. evening. <laughs> And then we did like an apartment. You're like, well, and now I guess I'm moving there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then I loved it. And I fell in love. I was like, this is the best place in the world. Um, yeah. So that's so fun, but great. No, I love it. And then talk to me about uh, Magdala as well. Kind of your journey with that. Explain what it is. And yeah. yeah. So Magdala is a uh, Catholic women's ministry um, that helps women who are struggling with sexual sin um, and sexual addiction. So things like masturbation and pornography and fantasizing and all the like, um, so yeah, I joined with Magdala about a year ago when uh, when we started. Uh, I actually had been kind of doing some behind the scenes work of my own because I had felt the call to work with or start a ministry of this sorts about probably about a year prior um, and just kind of felt the Lord put on my heart that I needed to talk about my own history with sexual sin uh, because no women were talking about it. Um, mm. I had a really, really wise priest um, when I did a general confession with him tell me uh, at the end of, at the end of the confession, he was like, can I make, make a suggestion? And I was like, of course, father, like, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> what <are you> for? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, um, you should tell someone like about your struggle with sexual sin. He's like, you don't even have to say what it is. Just like tell someone your story of freedom and recovery and all that. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, father, like, uh, let's check the scoreboard. I have not told anyone for like the 18 years that I was addicted. And then I have not told anyone in the year that I've been free. So why would I start telling people now? Uh, <laughs> and I was right. like, okay, father, like, I'll, I'll take that under consideration. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then went and proceeded to, yeah, just tell, um, several of my friends, like close friends, um, that, yeah, I, for most of my life, I struggled with a masturbation addiction and, um, the more people I told, the more often I found that they would reply to me, like the women in my life would reply to me and be like, mm, like me too. I have, you know, either struggled with these things in the past or still struggle with them. And I kind of sat there like, if we're all struggling this with this, why is no one talking about it? Right. <laughs> and uh, the Lord just kind of slowly took that movement in my heart. And, and I just heard one day that he was like, cause, cause I want you to talk about it. And I was like, are you sure? There's no one else. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so, um, then like, yeah, several months later, I see, uh, this video from this Catholic girl on Instagram, Lizzie Rich. Um, she's fantastic. And she, yeah, this is in the middle of 2020. And she had posted this video saying, Hey, I struggle with pornography and being in lockdown from COVID made mm. it worse. Here are like the practical tips I do to combat it. And I was like, I have to be friends with this girl. So just randomly messaged her on Instagram and, uh, was like, Hey, this is what the Holy Spirit's put on my heart to, to start a ministry to help women. And 
I was like, are you in? And she's like, I'm in. I had literally a half-baked idea from the Holy Spirit at that point. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, she and I spent about six months kind of doing some behind the scenes work, uh, figuring out good people for like a board of directors and this kind of stuff. And then uh, we met Rachel Kalaki, who literally like two weeks prior had started Magdala, uh, which is to a T what we were working on. She was just kind of on hit the ground running and doing the that kind of work um, right. to just get started. And then we were like, we should just combine forces. And, uh, and that's how we ended up at Magdala. And so now I am Magdala's uh, associate director of special projects, uh, which means that I do kind of a little bit of everything. Um, right now, that means uh, we've written a small group curriculum for our virtual and in-person eventually small groups. Uh, and it's a massive 75 page document. It is my pride and joy. And uh, I, yeah, we're getting it reviewed um, by a bunch of, yeah, uh, like priests and religious and, yeah. Um, site counselors and whatnot right now um so really really excited for that to hopefully come out and be printed in the next couple months that's really awesome i love it yeah and i'm curious what what amount of all of that really like inspired you to to study or go on to get your doctorate obviously in neuroscience mm. Yeah. So that's actually like <laughs> completely unrelated to Magdala stuff. Um, so yeah, I was very interested in the brain from a young age because my older brother has autism and a seizure disorder. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I've been fascinated with the brain since I was uh, really young and just kind of always knew I wanted to, to study the brain. And sometime in yeah, middle school or high school was like, wait, you can turn passions into jobs. Like what's that, what's that about? Um, and yeah, when, then went to Hillsdale and yeah, I always kind of knew I wanted to, to research the brain. Um, and so now I do neuroimaging research, uh, in speech and language development and uh, I get to work with four and five-year-olds, which is always entertaining. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have no doubt. Yeah. That's so, that's so awesome. Yeah. I've been learning or not learning, but I think like several of the books I'm reading right now, reading, um, when Harry became Sally, um, about the transgender movement, um, I'm reading, uh, it didn't start with you. I forget the name of that author, but it's, um, a little bit more psychology, you know what I mean? But when Harry met, uh, became Sally, it definitely includes a decent bit of neuroscience, I think in it. And, uh, and then I just finished the mindful Catholic by Dr. Greg Batara, which nice. again, is a little bit more psychology, but he definitely talks, you know, a lot about how like the actual mm -hmm. science, how the brain works. Yeah, one of the special projects we've got coming up with Magdala is we're writing, we originally had it in the curriculum, and then we decided it was too massive of a thing to stick in the curriculum, and we wanted to make it its own separate project, uh, but we're putting together like a booklet of the neuroscience and psychology of sexual addiction, um, and yeah, been been doing a lot of research with that, and it's really fascinating, um, the stuff that you read, and you also have to, yeah, as you're doing the research, take with a grain of salt, like the lens through which the world is looking at it because often the scientists who are doing these studies are, you know, secular and not religious and right. uh, they don't have like an ethical lens through which they're looking at their results. Um, so it's kind of cool to like take our Catholic lens and look at the results and uh, yeah, just be like, wow, it's almost like the Lord made our bodies a certain way. And <laughs> when, yeah. when yeah. they don't do what they're supposed to, bad things happen. Like, how about that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I want to know more about that for sure, but kind of talk to me first on just kind of a general level, because I know that you, uh, you know, tend to lean more conservative, like how, what was it like? Like, what is, <laughs> what is neuroscience like at a, at a public university? Like you see, Oh man. Not, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, maybe that's too pointed too. like, like, I guess just generally like how even just coming across like research and your reading and things like that, like how mm -hmm. difficult can yeah. it be? 
Yeah. So certainly coming out of Hillsdale was a uh, <laughs> little little bubble bubble per- burst uh, right. after after leaving the Hillsdale bubble. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think in research it doesn't come off quite as apparently um, unless you are uh, doing like human subjects research specific to. Um, you know, anything related to like sex differences or anything like that. Um, So even even in my work, especially since I do speech and language development, the majority of papers will still refer to like boys and girls. And then we compared like boys and girls and you're like, ah, so there is a difference, but you're not going (laughs) to talk about it outside of this paper, probably. Um, (laughs) uh, And things like that. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely some ethical questionable areas uh especially with neuroscience when you get into like embryonic stem cell research on that end of things um and then yeah thankfully my field of research doesn't quite touch that end either um and most of what i read is is generally okay and there's no weird acknowledgement of like we're comparing boys and girls but there are more than boys and girls i don't you know um there's thankfully at least for now few and far between of that i suspect that in the future that might not be the case shortly um but yeah i think um there's certainly some fields that can remain relatively untouched by it. Um, and there is a pretty good idea. Cause when you, when you do research, you have like such a narrow hypothesis and narrow thing that you're focusing on um, that you're often just trying to report the results of what you are looking at and not too much talking about like any broad implications like with human subjects research there's always this caveat of like humans are complicated so like this thing that we saw that we think is probably due to what we think it is might not be because humans um and you know so there's always just kind of this broad brushstroke with human subjects research that says okay um there's there's a certainty you can get in rodent model research and cell line research where all of your subjects right are the same genetically all the way you've environmentally and you right. don't get those kind of uh, consistencies with human subjects research and uh yeah i think there's an easy way to kind of i don't want to say brush it under the rug but kind of just put it into that like there's yeah. this thing over here we it could be related to what we think it is it could not be but we're going to assume it is because we have stats that kind of show it might be you know yeah, that's very complex. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, so I'd love to know more about, yeah, kind of what you've learned about neuroscience in addiction, especially when it comes to addiction to pornography. One thing I think is, is a good starting place, this question just kind of came to my head, was, you know, a lot of times, especially in chastity talks, I feel like it's kind of broken down that um, men and women have different draws typically to sexual sin, especially, you know, fornication, things like that. Um, you know, sexual incident within a relationship, let's say, um, largely because typically the way that it's framed, and, and I'd love for you to either agree or disagree with this, um, is that men are, are more drawn to like the physical arousal of it, right? Like we're more um, maybe higher libido and just kind of like looking for like the physical pleasure as where women are often looking for more of like that emotional connection, the emotional um, attachment and things like that, um, or looking to strengthen the relationship in that way, right? Uh and those typically, you know, are, are like the stereotypical, like, um, temptations that are faced. And so I know that, or at least I think that that framing, um, might be both accurate and harmful, you know, mm-hmm. it, I don't, I don't, I never really thought this out. Like, so I don't have a super strong opinion on it because I'm just kind of <laughs> thinking out loud right now. Um, but helpful, helpful and accurate in the way that it is, um, 
probably true to a certain, like men and women are different. And I think that our draws and like temptations to sexual sin are different. Um, and I've experienced that in my own life, my own temptations of sexual sin in my own relationships. Um, but then also like harmful because I think that it causes so much of the stigma when it comes to masturbation or pornography, especially for women, uh, where that can often be almost like written off or even accepted or like, I wouldn't say I've, I've seen it encouraged, but I was just giving a talk last week to a high school and, and told them about like, I heard a priest like tell college age guys that like, it's not a mortal sin if you masturbate at this point in your life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. things like that. And so you get into this like really dangerous kind of <laughs> space when you start to almost like grade the each gender on uh, one, both genders on like, their own separate curve, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know. I didn't ask a question right there, but yeah. tell me, I can tell you have thoughts on what I just said. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think you're right. I think um, it's helpful and true uh, to a certain extent because um, yeah, we read a study uh, in some of our research for this booklet that you know, and you got to keep in mind again, grain of salt on the the ethical implications of the study and their methods yeah. too. Um, but they, it was a psychology study and they were showing that, um, when men and women view porn, um, what's, what, like what they're attracted to or what draws them to porn is different. So for men, it's the overall like attractiveness of the people in the porn. Uh, but for women, it's their ability to imagine themselves as the woman in the porn. Mm. Um, so there is that more like relational aspect to it. Um, that women have that being said I think you can take that uh like women are have emotional relational you know roots to this and men only have physical roots to this too far right um so this became like this is a really big problem and one of the like main things we tried to combat with Magdala um is that because you know you take these to the extremes you hear like oh women you only struggle with romance novels like you don't actually (laughs) deal with anything sexual ever at all um and men only struggle with porn and masturbation you end up with um yeah maybe you can speak more to like men struggling with the emotional relational problems but um yeah for women that then becomes uh a lie that we believe for so long that if you struggle with masturbation and pornography you are literally the only woman who struggles with that like right. that is not anybody like nobody else in the world struggles with that it's something i believe for the whole time that i was in addiction i know it's something that many of our women at magdala believe before they find us um and suddenly you're just there like well if i'm the only one and only boys struggle with this i must be like gross uh i must you know be ashamed of this i can't tell anyone because i'm the literally the only woman and that's like so shameful if that's true right um and i think yeah those can be taken too far and, you know, nothing against um, all the countless talks in, in the Catholic world on like emotional chastity. I think that's important, too. Um, but I don't think you can even begin to broach emotional chastity until you've addressed physical chastity in like in both men and women, um, because that that is unfortunately in, in a society that we're like inundated with sex and sexual images um, all the time you're going to like, that's going to affect both sexes. I don't uh, like, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous that we assume like, Oh, that, that won't affect women in the same way. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's one of the things that in when Harry became Sally has been super interesting for me is uh, so many cases and, and situations that he cites or talks about and gives like a lot of personal testimonies of people who have transitioned and either detransitioned or, or stayed with their transition. Um, 
like how often, <laughs> like, I think one thing that's just, it's so interesting in transgender movement is how often like actual gender stereotypes of what cause people to like try to break gender stereotypes, but they like have them so deep seated that they actually try to like become the other gender because they right. think that a girl that likes to play with trucks actually is a boy. Mm-hmm. And then they like try to break down that like, no, there's no such thing as gender. There's no right. such thing yeah. As boys, don't, like, boys don't play with trucks. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? And it's like so yeah. complex. But I just think that that's uh, so interesting how that I think that can like this can almost be an example of that, of being like this type of sin is only for boys and how like disordered and, and just even more manipulated. And, you know, the shame and, and the guilt like just gets so much more amplified, I think, because of this kind of stereotype that goes along with it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's. Yeah, it it just kind of goes back to what we've been saying. Like, but there's like helpfulness in addressing the fact that there are kind of stereotypical sins, right? That like sins of of the sexual nature are are you know higher or more common among men, and like um, there's certain sins that are might be more common among you know women. Like we talk about like gossip and and chastity, right? Like, typically they typically do run um, more uh, often in each gender, but. Um, yeah. So I guess, how do you, how do you think you go about breaking those stereotypes? Obviously you guys are trying to do that by, um, by talking about it, but yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I think one of our goals, yeah, is obviously just to, yeah, be, be the women who will like stand up and, uh, you know, be, be the Matt Frad of, uh, women dealing with sexual sin, if you will, Matt Frad, we actually refer to him as our, uh, uh, godfather of the ministry, uh, because he knows, he knows Rachel Kalaki and he was the one who actually told her like, just do it. Like, just start, just jump, just start Magdala. You'll build the plane as you fly it. Uh, yeah. and, and so yeah, to he do it. Her, yeah, he encouraged her to do it. And, and now we're here. So praise be to God that he, he was able to do that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I've told like the women in my small group, uh, is that, like my vision before I joined Magdala, like when I was working with Lizzie and kind of thinking on our own, starting behind the scenes work for a ministry um, was that I wanted it to be a, like we went through it alone so that no woman ever has to again. Mm. Um, And yeah, like it's not so much for us a, um, or at least not yet. I'm sure there'll be implications of this in the culture, um, you know, to, like, let's go change the whole culture. Let's change the the view on, um, you know, women and sexual sin so much as like, let's find the women who are struggling and in the depths of it right now and help them um, because that's, that's the most important part. Um, and then, you know, through them and, um, you know, hopefully we have, we've uh, got over 500 women in small groups right now, and we've got uh, over a hundred on a waiting wow. list, I believe. So yeah, this is my, my plug, my, uh, our administrative coordinator, Annie will kill me if I don't plug uh, that we need small group moderators. So any women listening who have struggled with sexual sin in the past, please uh, come sign up to be a, a small group moderator. We need you. We've got women on waiting lists who, who are ready to join a group. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Rachel certainly has been speaking on this topic for like five years now and gone around to various colleges and, and places um, being able to, yeah, just kind of give a voice to the fact that um, this is a real problem that's that's gone unmet um, in the church and uh, has just been brushed over and not and not talked about. And um, I think the more that, yeah, we can start in the church and then like, you know, grow outward from there, right? Uh, fix yeah. the problems at, at home before we go out and try to fix them uh 
outside of the home, if, as it were. Yeah, very Jordan Peterson-esque. Clean your own room before you criticize the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. That's so helpful. And I, I think, you know, one thing that I think was um, really stood out to me about your story and kind of your recovery from the addiction was the like challenge to be vulnerable and find accountability because that was the thing that really like changed my life. I was a freshman in college and went on a retreat and that was like the best advice that ever been given. It was, I had, I had dragged my uh, college roommate along with me on the retreat and we like agreed to be each other's accountability partners from then forward. And it was like, I was like, I didn't know that like I could actually like, control myself <laughs> you know what I mean? but until you, it, it's amazing how shining light outside of the confessional or even in the confessional uh if you if you because it can be similar i also use a confessional sometimes if, you're, if you do face to face with the same confessor it can mm-hmm. have a very similar effect um but i think a lot of times we really inhibit our own progress spiritually um by using the screen despite how like emotionally satisfying it can be yeah, uh, there's, there's very few, if any, spiritual benefits <laughs> of using the screen for <laughs> confession. I had to get to the point where I was like, I would tell myself, like, you cannot use the screen. And I think it was one of the biggest bummers uh, for so many people of COVID was mm-hmm. so many people were forced to use the screen. And then you were also yep. like just increased, you know, a hundredfold the temptation for sexual sin um, mm-hmm. as you're just locked down in your house, typically on a screen, like 12 hours a day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But what was your journey? Like, I, I mean, obviously you talked about, you know, kind of jokingly about, uh, you know, accepting the priest's advice, but not really wanting to hear it. But like, what was your journey? I think that's one of the biggest things where people are like, how could I ever tell anybody about that? Like, how did you actually overcome that? And um, who was the first person you told? You don't have to say like exactly who, but like a friend, a, a cut, you know, a family member, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, to share that. Yeah, it was. uh yeah, my recovery really started, I guess, yeah, with like base baseline sobriety um, about four years ago. So it was like shortly after I moved here to Cincinnati. And yeah, like we talked about, I knew no one had never been here before and was like, okay, so it's me, the Lord and my apartment. Cool. That's all I got. Um, I don't know anyone here. The like one friend I knew from college who lived here, got a job in Connecticut, like the week that I moved here. And I was like, all right, great. See ya. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for leaving me behind. Um, And yeah, so there was a lot of spiritual growth happening about the same time anyway, uh, because, and that's, that's really like, um, part of my reversion to, um, you know, fell away from, from the church and was pretty lukewarm, uh, during college and, and before, um, and then coming here and being like, okay, uh, this may be the first time, especially in the context of UC, um, that I may be the only Catholic woman that these people ever meet. And am I doing a good job of representing Christ in his church? And I had to answer that honestly, no, I wasn't. Um, and then mm-hmm. that forced a lot of introspection and being like, okay, well, what am I doing uh, that's not in line with the with the church? And there was the glaringly obvious one of my sexual sin. And I just remember being like, okay, um, it's it's got to go. I, I was just convicted in that moment of um, this is keeping, like the Lord was just tapping me on my shoulder saying like, this is keeping you from who I want you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, so went to confession. Um, don't even remember where it was in my like first few months of living here. I, yeah, like maybe it was St. Cecilia. I don't know. I just looked up like, where's the closest parish. Um, and then there's went, lots of them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, went and, um, yeah, confessed it for the last time. And I just remember the, um, the priest in that confessional, like commended me, um, 
on yeah like my my willingness to to actually like confess it um and that was that was really powerful because I'd had some bad experiences in confession before um unfortunately yeah when when I did get the courage to to speak up and like yeah just half the battle is just saying the word masturbation to a priest and you're like ah you know yeah um and so yeah this priest then tells me like a short story and uh he's like so there's a monastery somewhere like up in the mountains and um cloistered group of monks up somewhere in the mountains and a reporter comes to interview them and you know for the local newspaper and uh talks to one of the monks and says like well what do you guys do all day and one of the monks tells her uh like we we walk around until we fall over and then we get back up again um and so this priest just commended me on you know you might you know you fell again, but you got back up. And uh, the most important thing is to get back up and keep walking. Uh, so yeah, I just left that confessional. Uh, it was the single greatest outpouring of grace I've ever received in my entire life. And, um, you know, temptation hasn't gone away. There's no <laughs> magic button that, that you hit that gets rid of temptation. But um, I've been free and in recovery since then. Uh, all praise and glory be to God for that. And yeah, I had been addicted for 18, for about 18 years. Um, and so I remember still like not telling anyone right away uh it was kind of for me like a, almost like checking checking my watch checking the calendar like okay it's been two months i've been free for two months that's new <laughs> and then yeah. like okay i've been free for three months right like every you know every every couple of weeks that went by every month i was like okay this this might actually be legitimate like i might actually I'm, i might be free <laughs> and and then about yeah six months hits and i do um that general confession uh and the priest tells me you know you should tell someone and yeah again my initial thought is like yeah um i think i think there's also a lie from the devil in there of like six months of freedom doesn't hold a candle to 18 years of addiction mm. um that like you know i shouldn't take that you know as guaranteed or you know anything like that um, or that I shouldn't, you know, boast about it or tell someone about it. You know, I was kind of believing a few of these things. So I think it took me until about, um, a year into, into my freedom that I finally was like, okay, I'm going to tell someone. Uh, so what I did was I actually wrote it all like out my whole story in a letter to one of my good high school friends at the time and, um, sent it to her and was like, Hey, um, I just, feel like I need to share this with you. And I'd like, trust you with this. Um, so here you go. Uh, she calls me like immediately after she gets it and reads it. And, uh, yeah, her first thing out of her mouth was like, I thought I was the only one. Um, and we just spend like 45 minutes cathartically bawling our eyes out on the phone, um, realizing like that both of us have been going through the same thing. And we had been friends for like, six or yeah like eight years at that point and we're like wow. why yeah like why why didn't we talk about this why you know um yeah why is no one talking about this but you know also having this moment of like understanding each other like so much more um because of being able to share that with each other um and so then yeah she she was living um not in Ohio at the time. And uh, so I didn't actually see her in person. So I started to tell a few of my female, close female friends here in Cincinnati. And again, yeah, like four out of five times I got back, you know, like I struggle with these things too, or I still struggle with them. Right. Um, and then one of them uh, is one of my close friends here in Cincinnati, who's one of the first people I met here actually. Um, and she's kind of like since become an, an accountability partner um, and just been someone that I can uh, go to with, with all, all the stuff. And then Magdala as well, the Magdala leader, team obviously then came into play with all of that too um 
but yeah, just kind of started to tell more and more people. And I think there's a more natural tendency with female friendships that that's like an easier thing to share. Um, once, and then I don't know, just because we're like sharing things all the time anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> and talking yeah, about like generally more openness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there, there's a little bit of that to it, but what I found was that the more often I told it, the easier it was to tell. Um, like I gained yeah. more power over it, I guess you could say. And, um, the, all the fears that, that I thought were true of, if I told someone started to melt away because I was like, actually Satan, all the things that you said were going to happen if I told people haven't happened and the opposites happened. So I think this is a good thing. And I think I should keep telling people. And so I did. And now, yeah. Had you told me four years ago that I would be going on podcasts being like, Hey, I struggle with masturbation. I would have been like, you're nuts. Get out of here. Like, it's right, yeah. not something I'm ever going to do. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's so crazy. It, it's so wild to see Yeah, how much more comfortable you get sharing some of those things. You know, I, I often hear that after I give talks or, you know, different things like that or, or, or on other podcasts. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, once you start to kind of share it, you kind of lose, uh, you know, some of that shame gets, gets healed and um, just gets eradicated. It's a lot easier to just kind of be uh, more transparent about it. But yeah, I'm curious if you have any like other uh, kind of maybe even practical things or, uh, just like spiritual or, or, you know, psychologically, like, what do you feel like shifted in you, um, to kind of have that change? Um, you know, that you kind of like started to experience freedom from it because it's something that Emily and I have talked a little bit about before. I think we talked about it, uh, with our podcast, we did one with Bella Bryant with the three of us. Um, so Bella has been on three times and they did some stuff on women in pornography when she was, when Emily was working for the culture project, they did like a Facebook live and stuff on it. Um, but Emily's story and mine are so different because like her, hers was much more like overnight, kind of like a miraculous kind of like St. Paul, you know, like moment where mine was much more, if you've ever seen like the movie silence, like mine was very like come and go, you know what I mean? Like yeah. repent, fall again, repent, like for years. And then like different things would happen in life, you know, my time in the army um, and yeah, you get deployed, go to ranger school, like all these different things where like, you don't get to go to, ma- you're cut off from the sacraments. Like there's no prayer life. And you try to like re into the world and try to be a functioning human again. And it's hard to just like come back to be a saint, you know, after being like, <laughs> yeah. submersed in army culture for six to, you know, mm-hmm. 12 months. So, but I'm curious. Yeah. Like what, what do you feel like, um, really changed for you? Or how did you kind of change your life to really facilitate that freedom as well and cooperate with God's grace? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have had words for it at the time, certainly. Um, because I mm-hmm. was coming out of being really lukewarm in my faith at the time too. Um, but I just had, I think this deep conviction that there was something more, um, that there was more than this routine that I kept getting stuck in. Um, and that there was, there's more for me on the other side of it. Um, and being able to, to beat it and to, to get it under control. And so I just kind of held on to this, this, I guess, promise from the Lord that again, I probably couldn't have put words to at the time four years ago, um, that, yeah, that there with that freedom would come like so many more graces and so much more that the Lord had in store for me, um, that, yeah, that it literally was keeping me from things. Uh, cause I think a lie I also believed, um, unfortunately is like, yeah, in my lukewarm years of being a Catholic, like I was, I was going through the motions. My heart wasn't really in it. Uh, and so I think I believe like, oh, I'm this like one person outwardly to the world, but here I am like at home struggling with this, like gross, disgusting sin that no one else struggles with. And I'm a hypocrite 
because I'm putting one thing out into the world and, and then doing another thing at home. Um, and that was a really easy lie for me to believe. Uh, and I think, yeah, just being able to be like, um, yeah. And, the, and, and I think into the first couple months there of recovery, I still believe some of those lies. So when I was free, I was kind of like, oh, it's the first time I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> um, it's the first time that right. I'm you know, actually portraying outwardly what's what's also happening inwardly. And to an extent, that was true, too, because the Lord was really working on my heart, too, um, and not just providing like a baseline sobriety, but also healing like deeper wounds um, that were causing and contributing to uh, my sexual sin um, and certain lies that I had believed about, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's just so much, uh, like we wrote a 75 page curriculum about it because <laughs> right. of how like <laughs> intricate the, the female heart is. Um, and just, yeah, the lies that you believe about, um, yeah, like your relationships and uh, your ability to, to love and be loved, um, your, you know, body image, um, all these kinds of things that play into um, and kind of can contribute to if they're twisted by the devil to, uh, to your sexual sin. And so the Lord just kind of started going in and like one at a time, just like healing each of those little things. Um, and, and still today, right. Still like, he's still doing stuff in there that I'm like, all right, I'm just going to hand you the sledgehammer Lord. And you go in there and uh, you knock down what needs to be knocked down. And, um, I'll, you know, I trust you to, to renovate my interior home here. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of it for me was just that surrender to the Lord and being like, okay, um, I know things need to change. And I know that I alone don't have the power to do that. And so it just, it just became this, this radical trust of like, I need to actually be Catholic. <laughs> actually be Catholic. That's, that's awesome. That's the type of verbiage we like to hear here on Seeking Excellence. So I love it. I think it's so interesting, you know, the, the cycle of sin where, you get to this point where it's like, am I lukewarm because I'm sinning so much or am I sinning so much because I'm lukewarm and you can't mm -hmm. even tell, right? Like you it's like this possible yeah. chicken or the egg kind of thing. Uh, and, and one just continues to feed into the other. Right. And yep. then you're like in this deep, you know, just slavery to sin. And it's kind of like, why, why change? Like you feel like there's no hope for you to change. And then it's like, why not sin again? You know, especially when you have been to confession in such a long time, um, is you're, you're just kind of like, well, I'm already like, you, you can feel like a lot of times you can feel it, right? Like you can feel the effects of mortal sin and you're like, I'm cut off and I've cut myself off. Um, and it's like, yeah, you know, the prodigal son, when he's away in the other land, it's like, he's not thinking of like every time he dishonors himself, right. Or like disrespects himself or sins or anything. Cause it's like, you're already cut off. Like you've, yeah. you're gone out here. You're so lost that it just, yeah, it's very despairing. It's a very dark place to be. Um, but that's, that's so great to hear about how your journey, you know, went and, um, what that looked like for you. And I think one thing that I think is really interesting in this kind of like comparison, cause I, I often like to kind of bring, especially sins of same sex attraction, like back to the same, um, plane or like, uh, you know, level as like most or all other sexual sins, because I think so oftentimes it gets its own category, whether that's too high and too severe or too low and too, um, you know, uh, downplayed, I guess you could say. Um, but I think, you know, when you think about like, uh, you know, I forget the name of the bill, but they just passed recently. If I'm not mistaken, I, I know I heard, uh, Douglas Murray, I think it was Douglas Murray and Jordan Peterson talking about it. Uh, but it might've been somebody else in JP talking about the billing in Canada where you can no longer basically do any type of like conversion, mm -hmm. uh, you know, conversion therapy or, um, 
yeah, you know, this obviously got into like some pretty dark places and, and things, I think, when people were really trying to like help people to not be homosexual anymore. Um, and but really force people to not be homosexual anymore, thinking it was uh very controllable or yeah, all types of different things that got really dark and bad. But now they can't do like any counseling. Like, and obviously that's either already applies to or will soon probably apply to transgenderism as well. Um, but you could also think of it, I mean, we live in a world where like the, the same people who want to teach kids about gender theory and homosexuality at ages five, six, seven, eight, nine, like also want to teach young kids about pornography and masturbation and the, you know, the goodness of that. And so I'm like, how far are we from like that also being something that you cannot like no longer seek counseling for because it's just like a normative behavior. Um, but obviously like there, you do have a lot of like secular, um, people, I think, Billie Eilish came out right and talked about how pornography had like destroyed her brain and fight the new drug is a great secular uh, organization. Yeah, they've got a great three-part documentary, uh, brain heart world on that. Yeah. yeah. They're doing an amazing job of, of just really documenting the way that it affects those three things. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's still interesting. Like if you think we're on the brink of like losing like the, the stigma of like addiction behind pornography, just like, uh, you know, gender identity disorder, was once like considered like hallucinative, right? Like it was like yeah. obviously like a mental disorder to where now it's like kind of being normalized. Like, do you see that as kind of the future of pornography addiction? Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, there's definitely been um, like a lot of talk in the field of psychology on whether it classifies as an addiction. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact, and um, this was a, a conversation around gambling addiction as well before that was mm. added to the DSM-5 because addiction was so associated with like hard drugs, right? And you're like, well, clearly right. gambling's not a hard drug. Like pornography is not a hard drug, although fight the new drug is clearly uh, combating that. Actually, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, it, it is a kind of drug. You consume it at, you know, vast rates and vast quantities and um yeah and i think unfortunately we're just uh yeah i i almost like <laughs> want to stand up and like shout it from the rooftops especially these these people who are like oh we'll just teach all the kids everything and they're they're totally mature and fine enough to handle that and um yeah as someone whose addiction like unknowingly started around four and five years old um like no <laughs> i can't like there's just so much um and that was even under you know the like in a relatively unexposed to the culture right this was the 90s like there weren't you know yeah um, it wasn't wasn't as bad as it is today um and yet yeah, black women blues clues was just like kids games right. you know what i mean like it wasn't there was no drag queens on right, right. yeah back when they were like the stamp goes here on the envelope and you're like right. cool <laughs> you're like, Dope. yeah you got mail today yeah man yeah. good old days good old days when that's that's the things we learned um yeah i don't remember where i was going but what the what the question was um but yeah, I think um, unfortunately the the culture is um, just kind of heading in like a downward spiral here. And there's so much. It's like every time that we like do something with Magdala where we're like you know excited that we're fighting back, you're, there's yet another article on like you shouldn't be ashamed of masturbation and like ladies here are better right. ways to, like do that. And you know, um, so it's just like a constant back and forth uh, between the two. And um, you know. I, I hope that we're, we'll start gaining ground. Um, but you know, that's, that'll only be through, through God's grace, of course. Absolutely. And it's so relevant to something that's been such a topic here, uh, on the podcast recently, which is 
just kind of the general philosophy of liberalism. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, relativism is, is obviously closely intertwined with that. But I think it's, it's really stood out to me recently in reading When Harry Became Sally, because he talks so often there about how many people who transitioned and detransitioned will still be like very supportive of transitioning. Um, there are the brave ones who will at least come out, even if they're supportive of it and actually be like, but we should be much more hesitant about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that is often missing, especially like in the world of pornography or masturbation is there's just kind of like this all or nothing, um, which it would even be a reasonable stance or at least much more reasonable to be like, Hey, like if you want to do this, like this kind of like a libertarian to a certain extent, like if you want to do this, go ahead like you're free to do it but like these are the risks right like these are the things that that are that await you if you do that which is so sad that it's like uh, both of them are really sad right that you have people who see something that was obviously destroyed their lives in in the trans you know using the transgender example um and they still advocate it for other people but just with greater caution but then on the other side you have people who are just like full force like no everybody should be doing this we should be teaching kids how to do this um, and those seem to be like the two camps that we're up against, you know, mm-hmm. the people who are like, uh, you, you probably shouldn't, or at least be, proceed cautiously, but go like headlong over the cliff. And then other people who are just like, just dive off the cliff. Right. You know? And right. it's like, both are very self-destructive, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It kind of they want to silence the other voice. Yeah. All the, all the like, um, middle quote, middle ground arguments who are like, oh, I wouldn't do that. But like, I don't care what you do, you exactly. know, you know, and it's, yeah, I think this, this all ultimately comes down to, um, we've lost like any kind, obviously any kind of moral compass, uh, in, in the culture. Um, but then we've also just so devalued, um, human life, um, that we don't even see, uh, our lives as being valuable and worth living. And so then, yeah, when, when you are just a meat puppet, when you are just a clump of cells, when you, when like nothing has any greater meaning, um, you're gonna like, why not dive headlong off the cliff? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. This has been really sad recently with the Roe v. Wade stuff of, um, I just shared a video on my story the other day of people who were like, um, you know, if my mom could have chosen, like she, she would have maybe aborted me. And like, I wish I'd been aborted. You know what I mean? And you see this, uh, yeah, just even a devaluing of their own lives, these suicidal people who are advocating for abortion to literally actually prevent other people from living because they think that it's better to not be alive. I think, you know, one of the things that I really thought about and kind of noticed in the culture when I was starting seeking excellence, and it's one of the reasons why we kind of have the Spartan helmet on there, because I think it kind of gives, um, a, a shout out in a certain way to me, at least, and stands for, you know, ancient Greece, which to me represents a lot of good that started with philosophy is I think we've just lost philosophy and, and generally like more specifically the ability to reason, but also just kind of like the art and appreciation for deep thinking and philosophical thinking. Right. Because I started to notice it really kind of when I was in college, right. Like I, I was somebody who, um, while still like being kind of a jock and, and like I was an army ROTC, right. But I was a philosophy minor and I love my theology classes. And I was going through a deep, like um, both heart and head conversion when in college, even though I'd already converted to Catholicism, but I was really starting to understand like, why am I Catholic? Right. Versus just yeah. like being Catholic and just like assuming, well, I decided at 13. So I guess this is what I'm going to do forever. Like, I was like, no, I need to know like why compared to other things, am I going to be Catholic? And I would have all these conversations with people. I'd bring it up all the time and it would piss people off because I'd want to talk about it nonstop <laughs> whenever I was home or, you know, with my friends and friends at college were a little bit more open to it at a Catholic university. But going back to a lot of my friends who had gone to Catholic schools or some who hadn't, like, 
it was just like, oh, this again, you know? And I'm just like, you, you guys only want to talk about stupid stuff, you know, yeah. like, and things that don't matter. And I came from a family that largely did that. That was like the, you know, you never talk about religion or politics. And now that's like all I like to talk about, you know, and sports. <laughs> that would be my third category. I really like talking about sports. Um, They're like, maybe if we don't talk about it, he won't talk about it. And then, yeah, opposite. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. almost feel like, like, yeah, like I'm like a problem child. I do like these, uh, we do like one-on-ones with people at work, you know, to like get to know each other. And I'm just like, shit, what am I going to talk? Like, I don't talk about anything that's not controversial. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Um, you know, like I'm like this awkward person that can't speak anymore. I'm like, so do you like sports? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, okay, well, that? I'm out. That's my God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's so, it's so crazy to me though, like how much we've lost that. And I think that leads into the lack of morality and the lack of faith and all this stuff, because we don't yeah. ask those important questions and you're, you're in, you live in the world, I think with probably a lot of people who, um, view science as like the end all be all this like absolute worship of science that we have nowadays yeah. is pretty amazing but um yeah which is so ironic on several topics that then uh they conveniently leave out the science on um right. but yeah i definitely relate to all this because yeah the um yeah especially i've had um my cohort um so my class uh mm-hmm. grad school here um yeah i when i came to, to Cincinnati, I like pretty much right off the bat told them I was Catholic. I was like that, you know, um, that's just, Hey, you know, I went to mass today. I'm getting you know, whatever. Um, didn't really seem like a big deal to me. I, I, I think it's interesting. Um, cause I was in like this, this reversion stage in my life, like the early parts of that, that I was willing to tell them I was Catholic and I was not willing to tell them I was conservative because I knew that <laughs> they would not want to be my friends if I told them I was conservative, um, yeah, which just tells you like how much politics has become religion, um, in, yeah. in the culture. Right. Um, and then, yeah. So then it was about and how uh, lopsided the realm of sciences. Yes, and exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I remember like distinctly not telling them and whenever like politics would come up, I would just like not say anything. And I was like, it's, it's weird that they're not, like, they're, they're, they're noticing that I've literally not said anything at all. Like, I don't, you'd think they'd notice over the course of two years that I would have never made a political comment. Ever, right. <laughs> yeah. But no, they, I guess they just assume like, oh, she's, you know, liberal, just quieter. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, there's an assumption made there. Um, but wow. yeah, I remember in, um, in 2020, like, yeah, I'd kind of had, had enough of, of being quietly conservative and, and started, uh, like posting conservative content. Um, and I'm all my social media is private. So like, not like I'm, you know, doing this for a big audience. I'm just like, here are my thoughts and I don't care if you like them or not. Um, and, uh, and I had like hordes of people just like on like high school acquaintances, like all the, the whole nine yards, you know, just like unfriend me, unfollow me. Um, and then, so then what was surprising was that, uh, just like a couple weeks ago, Matt Walsh has his, what is a woman coming out, which I am Mm -hmm. so pumped for. Um, but I like just posted like the little trailer for it. Um, and then two of the girls, uh, in my cohort actually then unfriended me and unfollowed me. And I was like, really? So you put up with me for two years, but this was the question that, that made you be like, now I'm done. Um, that was just so fascinating to me, but I think there's, there's like a a point to what you're saying of no one's willing to have the conversation, like deeper conversations anymore. Cause I remember feeling this, um, even when like I was closer friends with all of them in the early years of my um, grad school career here, where I was like, these friendships can only go so far because they're hitting a ceiling or the floor, whichever way you want to look at it, um, where it's not, the friendship's not rooted in Christ. So like, 
I, there are certain things that aren't going to be talked about because it's not rooted in Christ and not to say that it couldn't get there. Not to say that like, I couldn't, you know, make us have those conversations in a, in a charitable way. But, um, it was just like, yeah, the top thing I can talk about is like my research with them, the pop culture, like that's, that's about it. You know, like the celebrities doing today, I don't, you know, I it's, and you just, you feel this ceiling of like this friendship can't go deeper. Um, or can't go higher, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, because they they just don't think about those things. And the people in the culture have this, like, the secular culture, just so willingness to, um, yeah, like, distract themselves to death, right? There's so many things that you can, there are, like, an, a seemingly limitless list of, of finite things that you can distract yourself with infinitely and never have to ask those those hard questions. Yeah. I like that. Distract yourself to death. It, it's crazy. I, I think, <laughs> I think it's so funny to hear that uh, one that you came out as Catholic, but not conservative. And then two, uh, the, the sadness that people don't like uh, associate those two things, you right. know, and yeah. not that not, I, I always, you know, clarify that like the Republican party is not the Catholic party by any means, but um, the, there's some pretty like on, on the three, on two of the three, I would say like major like cultural issues, if you will, like abortion, gender, and race. Um, the church is very, very staunchly against the world's view on two of those three. And then with the third one, you know, race being racism, um, like we obviously stand against like the principle like of race, like we're and we, we don't believe in racism, right? Like the church <laughs> yeah. has like racism is a sin, but we also like as the church like generally have to condemn like the radical left's approach to fixing racism with racism. So yeah. like, we, yeah. we, also, we disagree, <laughs> we agree on the principle, but disagree with all pretty much all the application from that side. Right. Of the world. I was I was explaining to someone recently about like why I am conservative and was explaining you know in in light of catholic faith and i was like well again yeah like you said like republicans aren't synonymous with catholicism like absolutely not but um there like there's one side like that's clearly not catholic right (laughs) so i'm not with them you know yeah Um, (laughs) there's one side that like forces yeah like like convents to try to like promote or, or provide uh you know, contraception and abortion and things like, like that goes like very anti actively anti-Catholic. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah, so that, that's really interesting. The other thing that you made me think of too, was have you seen the, uh, the docu or the, um, the preview for the Candace documentary yes. that's coming out? Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. Speaking yeah. of race. Yeah, dude, yeah. I can't wait. I think it's like seven days from now, by the time this comes out, it'll be released. But I, we, we just like, I've never watched any of theirs. I, I watch a lot of, uh, debunk the first season one of debunk with ben shapiro but i haven't watched the i know the fauci one's coming out or yeah. it is out yeah it is um, out The fauci it is out is, yeah is really and then good. what is a yeah. woman's coming soon and um the greatest lie ever told oh my gosh they all look so good i'm like we gotta start watching these you know yeah. i wish it was like on i wish it was easier to like access like just from my tv but yeah um mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty simple to like screen share from the laptop now days but um yeah so i can't wait i can't wait to watch those but yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any kind of closing questions. I guess my my the only question I haven't asked you yet that has been on my mind is a lot of times I think whether it's Fight the New Drug or, or Matt Frad or in a lot of like pornography discussions, especially geared towards men, there's um, a lot of discussion of kind of the practical outcomes, right? Like erectile dysfunction being one of them. Um, 
just kind of like a lack of ability to focus on, on your work or whatever it might be. Right. But especially like the way that it destroys uh, a marriage because it can like really distort the man's approach to sexuality, especially to intercourse and, and like distort his view of his wife. And, right. And like how sex ought to, ought to go. Right. Because typically people get more and more extreme in the actual pornography that they watch, which just becomes more and more unrealistic. Right. Especially within the context of marriage. Um, but what, what would you say are, are there any kind of exclusively or maybe like leaning more in the uh, feminine direction of like some of the practical outcomes or, you know, cause I, I've never really heard that talked about on like the, the women's side of like, what are the practical outcomes and implications of not seeking the healing and help for an addiction to pornography for a woman? Yeah. I think um, a lot of it comes back to the differences between men and women that we were talking about earlier and that there is a very much like emotional relational part of this um, for women where it kind of um, distorts the way that uh, women view men, not necessarily in like a visual sense, but in like a potential relationship sense. And there can be this like um, such like, cause there's such a strong, ultimately like it's a desire for relationship, right? Like all sexual sin is just a, dis- a distorted or disordered desire for relationship. And so I think what then can happen with women a lot is that they'll like very, it's a much more easy to very quickly like latch on to a man or multiple men uh, without knowing them well. Right. Like, and have this kind of like, it, it affects that like emotional chastity. Right. It affects mm-hmm. that like, um, you know, just like a, a constant desire to like be like be cherished by men, I think in return and like be, be wanted by men. Um, but then also like a desire to like form relationship and to form it quickly. Um, and I think there's a lot of aspects in that that haven't been looked into. Um, cause I think a lot of this comes back to the fact that, oh, like, ah, oh, women, you don't struggle with that. So it hasn't even been studied right. extensively and in, in uh, specifically women, uh, and in any kind of, uh, comparison to men. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to, um, yeah, I think, I think there can be, there's, there's certainly a lot that, that applies to, to both sexes and, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, we're all human, right. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of things that are similar, but I think that the, yeah, emotional relational part gets affected in women more. And then, um, certainly, yeah, when you've got like a history of sexual sin and then coming into a relationship, like as a woman, that's definitely, um, you know, when, when you're, we, in, at Magdala, we encourage like healing can happen both in and out of a relationship. And so mm. you don't necessarily need to like be completely healed, whatever that looks like before you can enter a relationship right. yeah. um, that you can live chastely and, and be healing at the same time while, while in a relationship. Um, but there certainly can come, I think just like a lot more shame for women um, with that. Uh, if you've read the privilege of being a woman by, um, uh, Alison oh. Hildebrand. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. She talks about how, um, yeah, like abortion and sexual sin for women, um, because we're like also made in in Mary's image, um, is like uh, a more like personal and more grievous sin, um, because yeah. because of that, right? And because we, it's the we absolute have, distortion, yeah, of those yeah, two things, yeah. basically. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's, there's a deep spiritual and psychological level to that where, um it becomes like much more, not that it isn't personal for men, obviously, but it becomes a yeah. much more personal. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think of all that too, like my hypothesis would be that 
um, you know, the, the hormones that are released like during childbirth and during like sexual intercourse for a woman that are meant to be unitive. Right. And like mm-hmm. truly attach, attach a wife to her husband. Um, I would imagine that those get, uh, like that, that gets lessened or like kind of numbed over time as, as like, a um, a masturbation addiction and things like that would continue on. But then also like, I think it's really interesting that those two things obviously are attacked, you know, Mary's, uh, as a virgin and mother, as a wife and mother, right. Um, that abortion and encouraging either promiscuity or, uh, you know, pornography or masturbation to women, like by feminists yeah. are also just like, yeah, they just, they like are meant to dissociate you from like the two people that you're supposed to be most connected to. Right. And actually turn you inwards towards yourself, abortion, usually being promoted for personal and selfish gain. Right. And, um, pornography and all that obviously being, you know, similar, um, mm-hmm. to just please yourself instead of needing a man or wanting a man, whatever, and just kind of like turning everything in and kind of like creating an attachment towards you versus, um, you know, saving that or, or creating that space for a husband and a child, um, I think is really powerful. And obviously, yeah, it has a lot of spiritual dimensions to it as well, but yeah, it shows even more of the dark side of a lot of, uh, you know, feminist priorities, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think there was a, a Babylon Bee article recently that was like, woman, feminist goes home at the end of the long work day to like sit on her couch and imagine what it would like be like to be married or, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, for real. Yeah. I forget what I was just thinking about this um, the other day. I don't know if we were just watching TV or what it was, but yeah, just like thinking about that all like at some point, like that can't be that can't be it. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you're like 45 and you pursued this career as a woman and you've like accomplished all of these things or no, I think, I think it was Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Cause he talks about it all the time. And he was like, nobody puts on, you know, what do you put in like your, uh, on, on your tombstone or on your, uh, you know, in your eulogy and not your eulogy, but what's it called? Like your, uh, obituary, yeah. right? Like it's like to survive by this, like was a lo- loving wife and mother. Like it almost never, leads it's with a, their professional title right like a right, right. of whatever like nobody cares about that at that point um you know when you have like an empty funeral like it's like that's so it's so sad but jordan peterson also talks a lot about how many women get sold that lie he talked a lot about in beyond order his uh most recent book about women who realize in their mid-30s you know what i mean like i've been chasing this um dream of mine and now i realize i really want a family and how much they get sold that lie that that like work and career is all that they need and they should pursue themselves um and then almost can can sometimes find out too late you know if they're like nearing 40 or after 40 and they realize they want to have a family and it's just it's so sad to think about how many people get lied to by all of these things we've been talking about this whole time but um yeah i'm really i'm really grateful and i know many people are obviously the 500 women you have in small groups are really grateful for the work you guys are doing at Magdala and um, happy to so happy to have you on here to talk about it a little bit um, and to share some of your experience and obviously the hard work you put into learning so much about neuroscience over the last couple of years. So I'm really grateful for you coming on and sharing some of your, your knowledge and your wisdom and your practical experience you've had in this, in this realm. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Yeah. Really enjoy all of the seeking excellence podcast stuff. Uh, Obviously, yeah, coming out of Hillsdale, it's uh, it's pretty much right in the same vein of uh, yeah. all the stuff I, I talk about with all my friends anyway. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. So I'll, I'll, I'll obviously be linking MagdalaMinistries.org and then you can follow them on uh, Instagram and 
Um, we're actually not on Instagram or social media. Oh, excuse uh, me. Never mind. Yeah. You can't follow them on Instagram, but maybe I'll tag you and uh, Lizzie. Uh, I know. I know. I talked to Lizzie on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll tag some of their Instagram accounts of the individuals. Um, but no, thank you for sharing that. I'll, I'll link the uh, to your website for sure. And um, encourages anybody who's struggling with this stuff to to definitely open up, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, going through it. Obviously, Magdalene Ministries is for women, but there's plenty of resources. You can always hit me up um, if you're looking for resources for men um, to, to combat this as well. So lots of opportunities out there to, to grow and be healed of these wounds that you might be struggling with that are dominating your life. And uh, we both know the guilt and shame and things that are uh, accompany those sins. And so we encourage you to seek the healing and freedom that uh, God created you for. And so thank you again to, to Julia for coming on here today. And I hope that all of you Continue to fight hard and strive to be your best. God bless.